Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 15 years of law enforcement analysis experience from Tempe and Gilbert in Arizona. He's a former vice president of the Arizona Association of Crime Analysts, here to talk about link charts and the MCU. Please welcome Brian Napolitano. Brian, how are we doing? (laughs) I am living and thriving, Jason. How are you? I am doing well, well, well. All right. Good to talk to you. How's the weather in Arizona? Uh, it's starting to creep up into almost triple digits here. <laughs> <laughs> we had spring weather for about maybe a minute and a half, and then yeah. uh, it started creeping up to the 90s. <laughs> now, have you lived in Arizona your whole life? Pretty much. I was born in New York, but I moved okay. out here when I was like five or six. So I'm, oh, I'm pretty okay. much from here. Yeah. So you probably don't even remember like New York winters. Uh, Oh, I definitely do. I remember having to layer myself just to go outside. And I remember like my mom having to carry me up over the stairs to get into my school because they were like coated in ice. And (laughs) even as a kid, I was not a fan of the snow and winter. So I'll, I'll definitely take 115 heat over a snow day. Yeah. It's a dry heat though, right? That's what they keep telling us. That's what everybody tells you. Yep. (laughs) Doesn't make it less hot, but it it helps. I think, I think it helps convince us that it's a little cooler. Yeah. A little more tolerable. All right. All right. So (laughs) how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? So I was going to school at Arizona State University, the Harvard of the Southwest. I was studying justice studies. And at the time I was working at a museum and I was helping to build exhibits. So I would like nothing in the law enforcement field at all. And I thought to myself, like, I I really need to get into the field that I'm studying. But I didn't know at the time if I wanted to do something in the police department or maybe something in the courts. Like I had, I was still pretty early on in college, you know, I had no idea. So I just started looking at police departments to see what sort of programs they had. And I came across a crime analysis internship at Tempe Police Department. At the time, I had no idea what crime analysis was, but I figured if it's if it's something I like, then I can make a career out of it. But if it's something that just totally sucks, then I can just quit it because it's a volunteer internship. So yeah. I, I pretty much became an analyst because it didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So (laughs) how did you discover that there was this part-time opening or I mean this, this internship? Just just literally um, doing research online into the different police departments. Tempe wasn't the only one that had an opening. I think they're like Phoenix police department had an opening, but it was in South Phoenix. And my mom was not a huge fan of that because that's kind of a rough neighborhood. Sure. So that put an end to that pretty quickly. But also I was living in Tempe on campus for ASU. Mm-hmm. So the, the police department was right across the street from where I was living, like quite literally a stone's throw away. That's nice. So it, it just seemed like a logical choice. But yeah, just, just doing some research online. And then a guy named uh, Matt Deanna ended up hiring me. I miss that dude. He he moved to the East Coast. He's not dead. He just, he just moved okay. to the East Coast. But he, he was an analyst for Tempe PD for a while. All right. So so you went in cold to Completely that cold, volunteer yep. opportunity. Now, was there an interview process to that whole thing? Yeah. Um, the questions were kind of basic, like, what are your biggest strength and weakness questions? You know, what would you do in this situation questions? But at the end of the interview, there was a quote unquote test where they gave me four or five different scenarios. And the scenarios were like two or three sentences, basically. And I had to write down which of those I thought would be related and why. There was really no wrong answer, but it was just a way for them to see how I thought or, you know, how any candidate thought and what I picked up on as far as MO or time of day or anything like that, or location information. It was pretty it was a pretty good little test. We ended up uh, using that for all of our volunteer interns, oh, like okay. even after I got hired on. 
Yeah. Can you think of one of the questions or one of the statements? It, it was like a burglary with a garage door open and like golf clubs were taken. And then another one was like a vacant house where a window was broken. I, I can't remember. It was basically four or five different burglaries. And just like it was two or three sentences of what just describing the incident and like what the location was, how the point and method of entry, what the suspect took, things like that. All right. And then you kind of had to do like what the next steps would be or what you thought about it based on those just a couple of sentences. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I guess they liked what I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't their first choice, but no. No, <laughs> that was the backup. Uh, <laughs> and so, then, yeah, after like about a year or so, the, so I, I did that. It was a volunteer uh, internship. And after about a year, they had an opening for a full-time analyst. And so I applied for that. And that's when... I ended up getting hired full-time. So were you still in school at the time when you were part-time? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was that was nice. And that was unpaid. So that was just some extra extra time you'd spent for a year. Yeah, there. definitely. And that's why I figured like, it was like a win-win situation for me because, like I said, if it was great, you know, because, again, I didn't know anything about crime analysis at the time. So I figured if it was great, then awesome. This is the career path I'm going to do. But if it wasn't great and I absolutely hated it. Well, it was just a volunteer position and I could go in and tell them I don't want to do it anymore. So it was really nothing to lose there. Okay. So you get that invaluable experience working there part-time for a year and then a position comes up and then is it a panel interview or whatnot from there? You know, it's funny. I remember more so the internship interview than the panel interview for <laughs> for the actual job. I think one of the questions they had asked me actually was for me to describe an ethical dilemma I had been in. And at the time, I literally had none. <laughs> so I was like, pass, <laughs> which I mean, was a good problem to have, I guess. <laughs> Oh, man. Now, Sim simpler was, times, you know? <laughs> yeah. Since it was in Tempe, are you required to have a, a portfolio and to follow Sean Bear's footsteps? <laughs> you know, it's funny. This analyst, Matt Deanna, basically told me all about a Sean, Noah Fritz. Oh, boy. I'm totally blanking on his name right now. Dan Helms. Thank you. Yeah. Basically, like the, the Tempe Mount Rushmore, yes. you know? Yes. <laughs> It was almost like required that I know and like, you know, like I had to like pay homage to them every time I walked in the door and, you know, knelt down. And <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Uh, yeah. It was cool, though. Like, actually, I was able to eventually meet Sean and meet Dan at some training. And then Noah ended up getting hired back on at Tempe PD towards the tail end of my tenure there. So it was kind of cool to meet all these people and be like, oh my gosh, I've basically heard all about you. And hey, Sean Bear, we use your software and like worship it basically. Yeah. Well, that was weird. And, and I don't know. It's, uh, some people say that about me and it makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, <laughs> oh, like, well, yeah. It's like, yeah, I know who you are. I was like, well, I'm not going to assume you know who I am, but I'm like, oh. Someone well, I called, bet especially after this podcast too, right? Well, someone called me legendary. I was like, whoa, <laughs> throwing, throwing those kind of words around. I was like, geez. I, but, I aspire uh, to be as legendary as you. <laughs> Won't take long. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. <laughs> so then even though you were there part time and then you're just walking in the door for the first time as a full time employee, did it feel different or did it just feel like another day at that point? It actually did feel quite different because it's like, OK, the stakes are real now. I'm not just, you know, sorting through reports or doing data entry like now there are expectations. I mean, mm -hmm. Not to say that there weren't expectations when I was an intern, of course, but like if I make a bulletin, my name is now on that product and who knows, maybe I could get called into court for something or, you know, like there's all these things that could happen and just the level of expectation and that it's expected that eventually I'm going to have to present some statistics to some higher up people that are way more adult than I am. <laughs> just uh, it definitely felt different. Hmm. In a so, good way, I guess. What kind of tasks are you doing in the beginning? You mean during my internship or when no, I first when started? No, when you started. Yeah, when you started. It was kind of like they would let me do like kind of the easier bulletins, you know, like an mm -hmm. ATL bulletin where it's just basically like a guy's photo and here's what he did and here's what we're looking for. Um, 
and I would assist in kind of like simpler tasks. That's how they kind of got me started, like easier requests and whatnot. And eventually, I can't remember what my first like full on series bulletin was. I know one of them was we had like 30 some odd cars get their windows shot out with BB guns. <laughs> so I think we called that one like the BBGBs. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was told that if you give a, a series a like a unique name, people will remember that. And obviously, so if I'm remembering it, you know, yeah, it's, over that's a decade later. That's, uh, yeah, that's what you got to do. You got to sell it a little bit and yeah. <laughs> come up with a fancy name. So that's what I do with my presentations now for when I put in for conferences. I give them unique names. They're usually based off of movies or something like that, but do what, the same thing. What are some of the unique names you've gotten? I did a sequel class and and I called it what did I call that? I think it was it was based on Star Wars. So All right, I already so like it. The, the rise it was like The Rise of the Script. <laughs> That's what it was. It nice. was like sequel The Rise of the Script. And then I had an Excel one, How You Train Your Worksheets, I think. I I, I feel like I attended that one a, yeah. a while ago. Yeah, how to how to train your worksheets. I think my favorite one that I've ever named, and it's getting into a little PG territory. I had to end <laughs> up changing the name. We had an indecent exposure series where a guy would go into various like stores in public and expose himself. So I called him the satisfied customer. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, told to change that one, though. <laughs> oh, man. See, that would have got them talking and interested. You're probably right. They would have probably like, let's go work on this. <laughs> That's funny. Hmm. So then how many analysts are at Tempe at this time when you're first starting there full time? I think so. Tempe kind of has it split a little differently than other agencies. Like they have a tactical side and a strategic side. So I was in the tactical side and I believe it was just myself and my coworker, Matt. I think there were uh, two strategic analysts from what I remember. Hmm. All right. So now let's talk some about some cases then, because you eventually work on a robbery series that's memorable to you and you wanted to share it as your analyst badge story. Yes. Tempe badge story. So the series was called the Shady Bandit. And <laughs> I can't tell you why we called them that, honestly. <laughs> I'm sure that was another one that was named something else and I was told to dial it back. <laughs> this was back in, I, I can't remember the exact year, but I want to say like 2009. So what he would do is basically rob people as they're going into the bank. So they'd be in the parking lot and the victims were carrying deposit money from whatever business they worked for in those big deposit bags. So he would hit them mm. in the parking lot. So after a few of them, I was able to establish like a temporal pattern as to what time of day and what day he was hitting or most likely to hit, I should say, as well as an area for where he was most likely going to hit. And that area was kind of between uh, Tempe and then uh, neighboring city Chandler PD, which is just south of Tempe. So I coordinated with detectives in Tempe and Chandler and told them, all right, so we got, you know, like this Friday, for example, let's sit at these five different banks between like two and 4 p.m. And for some reason, everybody like went along with it, which I still <laughs> can't believe to this day. <laughs> but well, let's just uh, listen to the rookie. No one else has anything else better. To I know. Like I was, I, it was a suggestion I just threw out there, and they're like, "All right, let's do what the kid says." And I'm <laughs> like, "Okay." Uh, so he actually showed up at one of the banks, and I think the bank was actually in Chandler, not Tempe. But and like a like a vehicle chase ensued, and he got arrested. So that was to me that was like the moment that the department was like, "Okay, he obviously knows what he's doing." So. Let's give him some more responsibility. Let's trust what he has to say. It was uh, a good series. Yeah, it makes me wonder that people must have been willy-nilly with those bank deposit bags, right? Because if I, I was carrying a lot of money into the bank, I mean, I'm carrying it in a backpack or something where no one knows that it's in there until I get inside the bank. I know. Like, I'm totally picturing, like, one of those generic cartoon bags with a giant dollar <laughs> sign on it. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I honestly have no idea. My thoughts, and this is just a total wild guess, is let's say like, you know, the guy was coming from Taco Bell, the victim. My guess is that it was a huge bag with the Taco Bell emblem on it because like a giant canvas bag or something, because he would he wouldn't hit just anybody coming into the, to the bank. He, he knew exactly who the people were that were making those Friday deposits or those Wednesday deposits, whatever, uh, you know, okay. like he, cause he would always get a decent amount from them. Yeah. So was it business? 
businesses mostly that he was getting? Like the money was related to a business? Yeah, not a specific business, but yeah, it was just various businesses. Okay. Um, Their employees just dropping off the whatever cash for the, the week or whatever. All right. Hmm. That makes me think that he, he either did that or somebody let him know that that's the practice. You know, that's definitely a good call. And this is this was years before I started doing Intel analysis. <laughs> so yeah. that could have been helpful back then. Yeah. But, See, um, we should have called upon the legendary Jason Elder to help us out. Back in 2008. <laughs> Cincinnati, yep. <Yeah. yeah. laughs> so, and it's also kind of bold to be trying to rob people outside the bank in the middle of the day. Yeah, and it was. It was like middle of the afternoon, too. Huh. I, I got to think, we're going to be talking about movies later. Now I got movies on the brain. It reminds <laughs> me, I, I picture that scene. Oh, what was that Matthew McConaughey movie where he, they played the four brothers that robbed the bank? Um, oh, something gosh. boys. But they end up robbing the bank. And they, it was just like what you're saying. They all had had these bags for the money that was coming into the bank. And they're all older guys, right? Like, yeah like in their 60s plus. So they're like, oh yeah, we'll just be able to take it straight from them and they'll be scared anyway. So it won't be a big deal at all. And here, these all these old guys had no fear. <laughs> and so the scene is, is them like trying to pull this purse basically from these old guys and they're like h- hanging on for dear life and not letting <laughs> go of the bags at all. So they're like dragging them across the dirt in front of the bank. The Newton boys is the, the movie. The Newton boys. Thank you yeah. for looking that up because I was trying to <laughs> talk and, and look it up at the same time and it yep. wasn't happening. So very I got good. Your back. <laughs> but that's, a, that's, a, that's based on a true story and I would recommend that movie if you haven't seen it. I wonder if our suspect had seen it and <laughs> took a little inspiration from it. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. So do you remember how many victims he hit? I want to say like five or six. It, it got up there. All right. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty good though. Yeah. It was All a right. fun series to work on. All right. And then any other cases that come to mind during your time in Tempe? So in uh, 2010, we had just a string of homicides, completely unrelated. It was just like, because from what I recall, Tempe only has like maybe three homicides a year. But in the year 2010, for some reason, like the planets aligned and just there were so many homicides that we were working on. So the unit I was with, that's when we kind of started doing intel analysis and doing workups. And that would they would request workups from like everybody involved with the incident, like any ILs, investigative leads, any suspects, registered owners of vehicles. So I guess a couple of the cases were, I'll, I'll do one specific, was this ASU student was walking down one of the major roads and it was basically a robbery gone wrong. He had his laptop stolen and he ended up getting shot and killed. Oh. Well, basically we ended up finding the laptop at in I think behind a grocery store if I remember correctly and ran some prints on the laptop and they came back to the suspect and the suspect was being interviewed by the homicide detective at the time and you know I let me correct myself I think this the victim got stabbed not shot and the reason I correct myself is because when he was being interviewed the suspect he made a statement like look I didn't stab the guy okay and at that point there had been <laughs> nothing on the news about how the victim got killed. <laughs> so yeah. I remember the detective leaving and then running into where we were all watching the interview. And he's like, did anybody else hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so that was one that stuck out. And that, that guy ended up getting arrested because he wouldn't answer why his fingerprints were on this dude's laptop. And the detective was even giving him outs like, well, you know, was it passed around to you like at a party or something? Like, you know, somebody asked you to hold it for a second. And I remember the kid was like, no, I, my prints aren't on there. And the yeah. detective was like, that's not the question. Your prints definitely are on there. <laughs> was there any other eyewitnesses or anything? How did you end up linking them? Because it had to be more than just him saying, well, I didn't stab the guy. No, it, it was we, we found the victim's laptop like behind the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And it had fingerprints on it. It came back to a guy who basically had like a huge criminal history to him, including robbery in the past. So when we brought that guy in, we were basically asking him, you know, why are your fingerprints? Well, I wasn't, but the detective was <laughs> asking him, you know, why are your fingerprints on this guy's laptop? Basically just looking for that answer, because at that point he was just a lead. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a scene from a movie because he was the one who slipped up and was like, look, I didn't stab the guy. Like all we were asking was, why are your fingerprints on this laptop? And then he makes the jump to, I didn't stab him. 
And it's like, well, we didn't say anything about the guy getting stabbed. All the media said was he was killed, you know? Oh, so it was kind of interesting. It's kind of yeah. a, like a movie. Yeah, I'm not sure why he just didn't keep the laptop. Like, why I don't know he... either. Sure, he had a reason. I <laughs> yes, or maybe he was... lost it or something. I don't know. I don't know. I would think that that would be some something valuable, that, unless it was unique, right? You know, if if criminals were as smart as they are in the movies, we would probably be out of a job. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I remember one time we had a case in in Cincinnati and the laptop got stolen, but the guy was Korean. So it mm-hmm. was a Korean laptop with all Korean words on it. Mm-hmm. So that got dumped because they didn't, they couldn't <laughs> even, I don't even think they could figure out how to turn it on. <laughs> They're like, I can't use this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is a paperweight. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> so in Tempe, are you, do you stay with uh, tactical the entire time you're in Tempe? Yeah, the entire time. And then what's more on top of that, by, by this point, we now had about, we had three analysts in the, the tactical unit, which we retitled the Crime and Intelligence Center. Mm-hmm. the CIC. So at this point, there were two other analysts with me. So one of them was working property crimes. And then I was working like violent and persons crimes. Mm-hmm. And then the third was working like Intel stuff, more gang crimes, things like that, because she had been around for decades to the point where if there was a gang shooting or something, just based on the MO, she would be able to say, oh yeah, that's totally so-and-so because that's what he does. You know, it was, okay. I'll, I'll never forget. We had a homicide and I I can't remember the specifics, even though I just said I'll never forget. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but the part I will forget is when we're we're all brought in, you know, for the briefing about here's what went down. As they're talking about the homicide, she's like, oh, yeah, this is so-and-so because he had a green light against him, you know, from other members of his gang, you know. And mm-hmm. based on her knowledge, we were able to get those two suspects. And I think that was also in 2010, by the way. It was like the year of the homicide for Tempe. Huh. Because, I mean, how many homicides in 2010-ish or do you expect in Tempe at that time? There were probably, there had to have been at least 10, which I know sounds really not like a lot when you're talking <laughs> about like like LA or Baltimore or something. Yeah. But for Tempe, I mean, they usually get like two or three a year, at least they used to back in 2010. Yeah. And those two or three were like, you know, I'm sure at least one of them was domestic violence related, you know? Sure. But like either way, the suspect and victim somehow knew each other. Yeah. So the fact that we had like 10, you know, or more was pretty astounding. Yeah. So then you transition, you leave Tempe and go to Gilbert. Yep. And <laughs> when I was talking to you in the prep call, I was like, Gilbert, I just have this picture of uh, <laughs> the cartoon and like this really dopey agency that is made up. That's what I think of when I think I hear Gilbert. Well, I'm sure people who are not fans of us would probably agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> All right. So, so I always think of Gilbert Godfrey, you know? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, he just died, man. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I transferred. I, I got hired by Gilbert in 2012. Started working there. And it's, I can't believe it's coming up on 10 years now that I've been with Gilbert. So what made you leave Tempe for Gilbert? I was just getting unhappy with the leadership in Tempe, just like with my supervisor and chain of command. It was something I kind of resented for a while, but now I'm like, I don't really dwell on it. And, you know, I try to be positive, you know, Sure. and the way I look at it is any unhappiness there brought me to Gilbert where I am happy. So it was worth it. Yeah. I was thinking those situations, it's, it's how you land. That's most important because if you leave a bad situation and now it's worse, you regret leaving, right? But if you leave and you're in a better situation, then it was worth it all, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll like a quick example. At that point, I was in grad school and I told my supervisors like, hey, I'm going to be in grad school, so I may have to adjust my hours. And immediately it was like, well, that's not going to work. And, you know, then I come to Gilbert and they're like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. Congratulations. I'm (laughs) like, "Okay, this was the right decision. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Gilbert's a lot smaller. Yeah, a lot safer, too. We make Mayberry look like Detroit, I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's like 270,000 people in Gilbert, but we still 
recognize ourselves as a town for some mm-hmm. reason. I, I don't ask me why. <laughs> yeah. We're probably the biggest town in the country, you know? Yeah. But you have four analysts, right? Yep. Four analysts, all superstars. That's, that's awesome. What is kind of task are you working on? So here um, we kind of do it all. We do tactical analysis. We'll do some, some strategic and then some Intel also. We don't do much with like NIBRs and stuff. We have a data analyst for that, but we're housed in investigation. So a majority of what we do is kind of assisting the detectives and kind of filling in the blanks or creating bulletins, things like that. We'll assist with a ComStat type of monthly meeting. And I say that because it's not really what you would think of with a traditional ComStat meeting. It's more of just an Intel meeting, but we call it ComStat. I really think that's where it needs to go, to be honest with you, because it's gotten to the point now where, you know, Comstat was there when you didn't have access to the data. Yeah. And now everybody should have access to the data. So it's not, shouldn't be anybody's any surprise when you go into meeting to hear information. I am so picking up what you're laying down right here. Yeah. From what I hear, our town wants to go to a townwide Comstat meeting where every department kind of does its own statistical data. I I don't know how that's going to work. Martin O'Malley who is the former mayor of Baltimore. He did city stat and he had stats for various departments when he ran Baltimore. So he took that same concept of a comm stat and would bring people in and they would have measurements from each of the departments and people would be held accountable based on the activity that their department was in. That's interesting. Was it pretty successful? You know, I think... I think so. I mean, it's been a while and I also it's that's relative. It's not like I read or did any kind of evaluation process of right. how how it was, but I mean that was his way of organizing meetings and organizing all the departments. So interesting. I wonder if that's where we're headed here. You know, I guess time um, will tell. <laughs> I don't know. And it's always rougher in the beginning. So I wonder if like, you know, Parks and Rec's gonna get screamed at in the beginning, right? <laughs> Oh, I better them than us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you have a, a case here in Gilbert that you'd want to talk about too, the a drug bust in, in Gilbert. Yes. I hate to be a two badge story person because I'm I'm totally not trying to be like, look at how awesome I am because I have two badge stories. <laughs> the way I justify it is when I came to Gilbert, really the only people who knew me were the analysts um, at the time. So I kind of had to reestablish myself to all of patrol and investigations who had no idea who I was or what I was capable of or what I brought to the table. So basically a couple of years, uh, maybe like a year and a half after I started working there, one of our undercover detectives came to us. And ba- basically we had this drug house downtown. It was like that house that like everybody knows about. Yes. You, you know what I mean? Yes. Every de- every department has that house, right? <laughs> Where you're like, oh yeah, it's so-and-so again, you know? And we basically were like, okay, enough is enough. Like we need to get them out of there because what happens is, you know, we arrest them for some minor drug crime. They come back, they just start doing it all over again. They were selling drugs. They were making drugs out of the house. They were affecting the entire downtown area as well as neighboring cities because, you know, people would come in from other cities to buy drugs at this house. It was just a huge problem. Yeah. So work started in like mid 2014, I believe, on, okay, how can we actually shut this house down for good? So that's when an undercover detective came to us and did a link chart for them based on a few tips that were made from citizens as to like who they've seen there. I combed through like the different reports from that address and just kind of did an association chart as to who was there, what vehicles, where these people were coming from, did a map of the entire downtown area showing which houses were affected by that one house based on drug activity. Then a year later, we were able to gather enough intel to show that this was basically a criminal syndicate due to the impact Mm. that it was having on Gilbert as, as well as other cities. So we did this huge drug bust. There were like six houses at the same time across the valley, three of which were in Gilbert, including this drug house. And all in all, I think like Gosh, it must have been like 20, 25 arrests were made. But because of the whole criminal syndicate aspect, the town was actually able to seize the house itself. So 
we like took ownership over this house and you know we were able to like basically get all the garbage out of there and now it has turned into a completely unrecognizable house judging by the google street view but then what was interesting was you know the the owners of that house well the prior owners i should say mm-hmm took the town to court because they wanted to get the the house back. So they took us to a civil court. And so a couple of detectives asked, asked me to provide statistics, like a before and after picture, before the seizure and then after the seizure. And basically, it, it's, it wasn't even like up for interpretation. Like it was crystal clear the impact that that huge seizure had since those people were kicked out of the house for good. Like there was a significant drop in drug activity as well as just criminal activity in general all because of that one house. It was pretty telling. Yeah, but but what's the criteria for being able to seize the house? You would have to prove the money that pays for the house and the upkeep of the house came from illicit funds. It's not whether you know, impact on community before and after. Yeah, no, the the impact just kind of helped like put the nail in the Mm -hmm. coffin as far as like, yeah, you really had a negative impact on the community here. So you're not going back there. But I think you're right. I didn't, I wasn't involved in that entire aspect, but I, I think you're right. And I think we had a couple of undercover guys, you know, coming and going from there a lot to show that the funds from the drugs were being used on the house. Um, sure. Huh. Yeah, it, it was an, it was an interesting case for sure. Like it definitely and, made an impact. <laughs> yeah. And you testified? Yes. That was the knock wood one and only time I've ever <laughs> been to court. Thank goodness. I was, well, I think I was sweating more than your hot ones episode with Aaron Rickersham. <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it just came up with that right now. <laughs> I was sweating more pro- profusely than that, though. Yeah, and I was. Uh, man, that's sweating, all right. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, yeah. basically, you you go over the questions with the lawyer of what's going to be asked, and you just answer the question. You don't elaborate anymore. You don't say anything more. You just answer the question. Done, you know? Yeah. And so were you just testifying on the data and link charts? Yeah, the the data to show basically how I came up with those statistics, what data I combed through, uh, the link charts to show exactly how many people were involved. And one of the link charts, I mean, there had to have been like 100 people on this thing. Like, mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. And I think that was just to show like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, like a, just a wow aspect of it, you know, just. Well, it's the idea of impact, right? The more the people, impact, more, yeah. more players that you got involved in this whole thing, the more that it probably meets that threshold of being a syndicate. Exactly. That impact. Apparently a tough word for me. I did, <laughs> like I said, I did go to Arizona State, so. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was the purpose of the link chart. It, it started off like, you know, who's who's associated with this? And then it just became, okay, how big of an impact can we show with this thing? And he, it was just ridiculous who was involved in this thing, <laughs> like yeah. how many people. And then yeah. also I did a map. It was like an aerial shot of all this entire neighborhood just east of our downtown area where this house was. Mm-hmm. And it was like a before map showing all the houses that bought drugs from this house. And then an after shot of like since the seizure there were like no houses that had any drug calls whatsoever, basically. Yeah, you took out a major hub. Yes, definitely did. And mm-hmm. now these new officers coming in, they have no idea who, who these people are or what the <laughs> house is. <laughs> yeah. Kind of funny. Yeah. So then I guess in terms of testifying, then did the, did the plaintiff's lawyer ask any tough questions or anything memorable about being questioned by the plaintiff's lawyer? Honestly, the only question they asked... <laughs> So I had that map that I was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And all I did was I shaded this particular house in bright yellow just to depict where it was. Mm-hmm. All they asked me was, why did I do that? <laughs> I think they had nothing, really. <laughs> just... I think they were like, well, well, why did you, you know, point out this house here? <laughs> well, because I want to show where it was in relation to the others. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah <laughs> it was like a real my cousin Vinny moment you know like i got no, no more use for this guy <laughs> no further questions you're on. no further questions what is a ute <laughs> uh this is aaron wickersham from the maricopa county attorney's office and my public service announcement is to go on a court alone uh, you may have been on a ride along and I think someone else recommended a 911 operator sit along. 
So find a prosecutor in your jurisdiction and see if you can go to court with them. You'll learn a lot about the process and about the work that they're doing. You are going to be the host of a new video tutorial segment for LEA Podcasts yes. called Small Steps. Just give the audience a little snippet on what they can yeah. expect from these videos. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is is there's a lot of things and in, in, without having to sit through an hour-long thing to you know, get through multiple things at once, just the short videos. And kind of the way I, I like to see is, hey, like when you're searching for something yourself, on YouTube, this or that, what do you, what do you, you get something specific, you get a small piece and it's, it's a lot easier to digest. So I think the idea behind this is, is really sometimes it might be a, a couple episodes in a row tackling the same type of thing, but it's just a quick, Hey, check it out. Here's a quick tip. Here's how you do it. And for this specifically, it's typically using some law enforcement type data, some data that'll be similar to what you would use and, and how you could use it. So like examples, just, you know, text a column or certain formulas, concatenate, VLOOKUP, XLOOKUP. Some of these, you know, some of these, you, you just, like I say, you might not. I'm still, I don't by any means consider myself an expert. Anything to make it easier. I kind of learn at the same time and I love sharing with other analysts. Not an hour-long class. You don't have to sign up for it. It's not costing you $10 for yeah. stuff you might or might not know. It's just a quick videos, quick tips. Yeah. So, so this uh, video series, it, it's going to begin Tuesday, April 5th. We'll release every Tuesday. The first one is a series on text to columns. Is that correct? That's correct. If you have suggestions for what you would want videos shown of, uh, whether it's in Excel or Access or SQL or whatever pr program it may be, send us an email, leapodcasts with an S at gmail.com or give us a, a comment in one of our social media postings. All right, well, let's talk about link charting a little bit because that's a topic that we haven't talked too much on the show. Yeah, And we have the, the, the rule of all link charts, which is you never cross the lines. Yes. You know, uh, it's so. the same rule in Ghostbusters, by the way. Yeah. Don't, cross don't the trust screams. Yeah. yeah. Although they do that every time. They did that, I yeah. think, in every movie. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I, oh, it, it makes my skin crawl seeing the lines cross. I try to avoid it at all costs. Besides, obviously, not crossing the lines, do you have any standards that you apply to your link chart? I mean, there's like little aesthetic things like, you know, all every everything has to be like the same size. I'm kind of a stickler about that stuff. I prefer for everything to be like in a, in a straight line and everything to be like, see, I'm blanking on the word again, like where it's mirrored on e either side, you know, you can. So there's a balance to it, you mean? I guess, yeah. You, you completely make my mind uh go blank but uh, you know i'm i'm like kind of a stickler for how the chart actually looks i i want someone who's a complete stranger to the case to be able to pick it up and instantly say oh okay i know exactly what you're talking about and the same thing goes for maps too by the way I, you know i i want someone to be able to pick up either a map or a link chart that i've worked on and know exactly what i'm trying to show with it so if i can use photos of the people. I'll do that. I'm not a huge fan of just using like circles for people and, you know, square for addresses or things like that. But I understand like not everybody has I2 analyst notebook, you know, but I, I try to just make it as, as aesthetically pleasing as possible, I guess you could say. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I think with link charting and probably just like with any other projects you're going to do, it's what question are you trying to answer? Yeah, exactly. Are and you I, trying to show that one particular person is responsible for all these other things? Are you just trying to show how people are related, who's calling who and for how much time, uh, where money is going? There's countless things you can do with link chart yeah and i think that's what i always ran into when i was doing link charting it always got to the point where it got too crowded yeah and i was like oh what story am i trying to tell with this what am i trying to display with this what questions i'm trying to answer and then because for some reason i always wanted to just have one chart like it was against the law to have more than one so i was <laughs> always to the point yeah. working where where i was trying to fit everything on one chart Yep. And at that point, your pictures become super small and the text is really small. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to blow yeah. it up on a plotter just to be able to read it. Yeah. Oh, was it was it symmetrical that you were thinking of? 
Symmetrical. Gosh, why go. can't I think of these simple words? Yeah, I don't know. Symmetrical simple. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think this headset is cutting off the blood to my brain. <laughs> it's it's that dry that. heat in Arizona. There we go. Yep, let's blame that. <laughs> so do you have I2 Analyst Notebook now? I do, yeah. Yeah. So I love that product. So is it a solution based now? It seems like all these software, when I was in the game, it seemed like, hey, they were all the standalone programs or and have a dongle or something to operate them and, and whatnot. Uh, yes. But now it I seems like everything's times. like a solution and it's this grandmaster GUI and yeah. it's connecting to all your databases and it's doing all this stuff behind the scenes. And all you want to do is make a link chart, but it's this $1 million program that you have to have now just to be able to make a link chart. Is that how you feel uh, or am I exaggerating that? <laughs> you know, maybe just a smidge. I do remember the days of having to plug in a dongle in order to use i2 i've tried to put that behind me but thank you yeah. for bringing that up again uh, <laughs> um you know i don't i don't know if we even like it, it's possible that i2 is everything that you just described where it's just way bigger than it needs to be fortunately we've really only needed it for like link charts and phone toll analysis and maybe some timelines. I would imagine in a bigger city like a Phoenix or a Baltimore or New York, you'd probably use it for what you were describing. But yeah. in little old Gilbert, fortunately, we don't have that problem. So we just pretty much, I don't know if there are different tiers of accounts or what, but we just have like the basic where we can just make link charts from it. I mean, yeah. it is easier now that you can import your data into i2. If you want to do like a phone toll analysis, that makes it so much easier. Yeah. Phone tools is what I used it for mainly, unless I was just trying to talk about connections with yeah. different targets. One of the most annoying things I remember of I2 is, and this goes back to when you were printing on a plotter. So this is when oh, you're, yeah. you're creating these charts to put on a plotter, to post on a wall somewhere in the police department. Yep. And this was really only for timelines. And so the i2's timeline would only allow you to have one continuous timeline you couldn't snake it right so you couldn't say all right give me the first year on top and then stack the second year on the bottom so you could fit it nicely on the page so you didn't have to waste this really wide amount of paper yeah in, in it just there. gets ridiculous there yeah so i used to and i think it's still around i used to use rf flow Ah, uh, yes i remember that and it and that allowed you the ability to snake or to at least have different horizontal timelines and that you could go just as i said you could have the first year second year third year whatever your data is broken up i thought geez this is like a 50 dollar program or whatever it is and <laughs> it seems to be more <laughs> more user friendly than this i2 thing now don't get me wrong i2 definitely has like a porsche engine in the back of it that that yeah. rf flow doesn't <laughs> have but i was like man it would be really nice if you could break up your timelines a little bit to to display them make them easier on the eyes and have this one long continuous timeline it's so funny how like you know, a, a program like rf flow can do that but i2 analyst notebook with millions of dollars behind it you can't yeah. So, such is the, uh, the complaint of crime analysts everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be customizable. It can't be off the shelf. R right. Oh, God, off the shelf. Uh, yeah. It's like a four-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> so then, because I haven't obviously used I2 in 10 years, so what's some of the newer features for I2 these days? You know, aside from like, you know, updated logos and things like that. I just, I feel like the whole system is just a little bit easier to use. I haven't had the need recently to make one of those timelines that you were describing, thankfully, but I'm hoping that you can snake it around like we would want. Aside from just doing like link charts, big or small, I, I haven't really had the need to tap into it too deeply. So I, I can't really answer too much on like what's What's new and exciting with it? Oh, okay. Hmm. I like the link charting, especially when you're telling the story and you do the connections and you're pre presenting that aspect of it. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I'm reminiscing now. I, I had this one uh, link chart that I had where 
I was doing on telephone tolls and I was like, whoa, this one number is being called by all these people. And I was just about ready to hit print. And I was like, wow, I can't find this number anywhere. And another analyst came, comes in and I show her and she's, she's like, oh, that's the voicemail number. So I guess the voicemail <laughs> number was all the same for everybody in the area that had the, probably AT&T or whatever it was. So it was that's like funny. all these people just checking their voicemail and then because you had to put in your code <laughs> or whatnot. And I was like, oh, well, no connection there. What a way to like deflate yourself too. Yeah, you know? like, no. I got it i cracked the case this is the number we need to go after yeah look how many connections i need a subscriber information on the stat (laughs) yeah it's like when you when you run like calls for service and the number one address is like your own police department because people (laughs) come in (laughs) that that or the hospital right yeah yeah or the hospital (laughs) wow look at this area right here we need to really send a lot of people there we need a whole team here that's the er (laughs) well well, let's move on then. You had recently have switched RMSs, right? You went from Intergraph to yeah. Versaterm. So, yeah, um, that's proven to be a bit of a challenge, but hopefully it'll uh, smooth itself out. It's right now we're kind of in a transitional period where anything basically before April is in our old RMS and Mm. Anything after anything, you know, present is in our new RMS. So anytime I get a request, I have to check both databases. And it's just the the headache of trying to learn a new system when you're used to the old system. So I'm sure that'll kind of work itself out after a while. Yeah. Do you have a data warehouse where you have both sets of data? going on right now? No, um, unfortunately not. That's where the headache is, having to check both of those. And it's like, you know, you check Intergraph for like any contacts with a subject and then you're like, great, I'm done. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I forgot about uh, Versaterm. Got to check that. And in fact, that recently happened to me where someone was asking for any recent contacts with the person and I ran them in Intergraph and found like, you know, 2016 or something, you know, quite a few years ago. And then I forgot, oh crap, I forgot about Versaterm. I run them, yeah, a week ago. <laughs> so it's it's just annoying. But no, unfortunately, we don't have a, a database for both. Yeah. Eventually, all the records from Intergraph will go into Versaterm. I think it's just we're trying to line up all the tables. And we have an analyst, Lori Orr, who is probably shaking her head right now at the fact that I called her out. But (laughs) she seriously needs to be recognized for doing that thankless task of helping to set up Versaterm to transition from Intergraph because it's it's definitely not easy at all. Hmm. Yeah. So were you guys involved in the setup for this, Thermos? Just kind of initially when Mm -hmm. we were browsing different companies, our input was requested. And that's pretty much it from from that point on. Lori has been on the the team. So I think she's given some crime analysis input, but the rest of us, nope, have not been involved with that. Yeah, that's interesting. And I understand why RMS businesses don't want to add the legacy data, but that is just a real awkward spot that you're in right now where you're trying to straddle both systems. It is. I tell you, any any RMS software companies that are listening, make that your selling point is you can seamlessly transition your old data to the new database. So yeah, I think you can get away with it without importing a bunch of information in the existing records management system. It's really the backend database that that you would need it, right? Because if you had a data warehouse, then yeah, you can manipulate the data in the background to at least run seamless reports and seamless yeah. trend data and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't be as bad, but yeah, you data know, warehouse. They're, they're all businesses, you know, I, I yeah. get it, but it's just frustrating. Yeah. It, it is. In Cincinnati, once we would, turned on our records management system, I don't even think we had an existing one. But, oh, so, so that was definitely a hard no from them. They're like, yeah, we're not putting any of that data in the system. <laughs> hard no. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, that would be so frustrating. Yeah. So how did uh, you work around that? I mean, we had a connection to the data, but it wasn't like what you would think of as a record management system where you would log in and have this interface and go through all these modules like you would most people are accustomed to seeing now when they use a records management system the front end if you will right we had yeah there was data entry folks and then there was access to server 
databases there. So, I mean, that's essentially what it was. Okay. But, so I don't, I don't normally like to deal with the actual interface and modules of the records management system anyway. I rather get the data behind the scenes and get access to everything. In a that's what we had with Intergraph. We had we used uh, Microsoft Access to comb through data in, from Intergraph that we set up ourselves. And I, I shouldn't take any credit for that because that was all set up way before I got to Gilbert. But it was so helpful and so easy to comb through data. So hoping we can get that set up. We'll see how, how well Versaterm plays. Yeah, I'm hopeful for you. I think it'll <laughs> work out for you. I know that's going to be a stressful time, though, dealing with a, a new system and trying to implement and get acclimated towards doing your normal day-to-day work. And then, of yeah, course, if something, and, something uh, yeah. emergency happens or something you need to know now, it's it really gets frustrating because you're bouncing between two systems. Don't Don't put it out in the universe that an emergency will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Positive thoughts here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. All right. Before we get to talking movies, I see here that you were a nominee for the Arizona Association of Crime Analysts Innovation Award. Yes, I actually have forgotten about it. How were you innovative? I think in the way that I communicate with other analysts. I, if I recall correctly, like for example, we had a series where it was five suspects driving in a maroon vehicle. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I called them the Maroon 5. Nice. <laughs> I mean, I that one's easy. Like, yeah, that one's Talk just... about your low-hanging fruit. <laughs> that, that writes itself. Yeah, right. So, I think I got this award because in the bulletin I sent out for that particular series, I had referenced at least like a dozen Maroon 5 song titles <laughs> in the email. Like, you know, on the fifth page of this bulletin is the maps that lead to you. We need to catch these animals, moles, moles. I know some people really didn't appreciate that because it's, <laughs> they thought it was a little unprofessional, but apparently some people did if I got the innovative award for it. But I think it's things like that. Like I try to make it like you know, again, um, just going back to the whole bulletin name thing, like mm-hmm. making it memorable. It's just a way to stand out. And, you know, yeah. because right. things are so just cut and dry in law enforcement with emails. And I get it. All of our emails are subject to public record and all that. So I'm not saying like just totally go off the deep end. But, yeah. you know, there, there's a line you can walk of being professional and being I guess, entertaining, you would say. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that's where we got to go. So we have to create a prize for the best name. And yeah. so you can be the judge and then have people come in and either at the Arizona Association Symposium or the or one of these conferences, you get an award for having the most creative name. You know, I really like that. And I hope for anybody in the AACA board who's listening right now, definitely make that a new award here because that would also encourage people to not be like, you know, the black hat bandit (laughs) because he wears a black hat, you know? Uh, Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) There are are times too, like we'll get bulletins and we're like, what what does this name mean? Like we don't even get the reference, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that would be very, I like that idea. Yeah, I have my moments. Yeah. (laughs) That's what makes you legendary. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Hey, even better yet, like in the conference app, what should this presentation be called? (laughs) Keep it kind, right? Oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) Please, yes. That would be good, but uh, probably somebody would be mean, and that would be the end of that. Well, yeah, even so. if you tell them to please be kind, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I that think that, be, that that'll just encourage the, them not to be. Yeah, that would be the end of that. All right. <laughs> well, let's go on to personal interest then. We've been teasing this the whole time. Let's talk Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> and right. so you had asked me Avengers Endgame and how I thought about it was there this lull or was this how I felt about it and so we started chatting about it a little bit and so my son and I our first weekend Marvel Cinematic Universe movie watchers agreed we got our tickets for Doctor Strange Thursday we eventually see the DC movies, but we're, we're not necessarily the first weekend for those. Uh, see, I'm actually more of a DC fan than Marvel, but you know, Marvel has decided that they want to make the 
higher caliber movies, I guess. So, or yeah. you know, you got to go where the where the good stuff is. Yeah, even though the Batman is good, I'm just tired of the tenth iteration of Batman. Yeah, and sadly, I have to. He is my favorite superhero by far, and even I have to agree. Like. Let's get some more Superman here. You know, let's get some Green Lantern. That's not a crappy movie for once, you know? Yeah. There's so um, many there's so many there that they could explore. And I think that's what Marvel has done really well is that yes. they've explored like Doctor Strange that was Guardians of the Galaxy is a great example. Those were an unknown entity. They're now a household name. Yeah, they were not A-list comics at the time, I thought, right? Yeah, they're fairly new. I think it's just 2012 is when the first Guardians of the Galaxy came out, something like that. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was it's, that recent. Yeah, it's really recent. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, and like you said, now they're a household name. Everybody can name all the members of the Guardians of the yeah. Galaxy. So, yeah. And um, unfortunately, you do have to be like a, a first weekender now because thanks to the internet, like we know all the spoilers, even if we don't want to know them, you know? Yeah, like, it- I yeah i missed the time when all we knew about a movie was the trailer that we saw and that didn't release a whole lot of info you know what i mean we just knew that this villain was going to be in it or something like that and now you've got like the internet will spoil like there's going to be like this toy release coming out like three months in advance so we know because lego is releasing this toy that this villain is going to be in it surprise you know yeah yeah. And then people are posting spoilers like three days after the movie comes out. I remember when it was one of the one of the Spider-Man movies with Andrew Garfield. I was just Googling something about it. And there was a huge headline about how Mary or not Mary, Gwen Stacy dies in it. Oh. And I was like, OK, well, thanks for that. Now I don't have to see it. Like, oh, that is a bummer. And that, that, that bummer. was back in I forget what year that one came out. Yeah. Um, All right, so are you stoked for uh, Doctor Strange then? I am. And I, and I just a quick correction. Guardians of the Galaxy is always older than I thought. I think the latest iteration, the one that the movie's based on is from 10 years ago. But it's the the original Guardian of the Galaxy comic book came out in 1969. So I had to Google oh, it okay. real quick. But so I think he, the question is, and I think it's a fascinating one with some friends and I that have, which one are you more excited about? Doctor Strange 2, the Multiverse of Madness, mm-hmm. or Thor Love and Thunder? Ooh. I think that's a very good question. What What is your answer? I'm curious. So it's interesting. I actually have a very distinct answer. Mine is Doctor Strange. And I have become just on board with this whole telling of this MCU storyline. So to me, if the movie does not advance the storyline to the MCU, I find it disappointing. I think that was the thing that I had problems with with Captain Marvel. It's like that did nothing to advance really the storyline of the MCU. And it may eventually, but at the time, it didn't really do anything for me in terms of pushing forward that storyline. That's a fair statement. It kind of seemed like a one-off, right? Yes, yes. And I think they were quickly trying to bring that character up so they could introduce the character in the Avengers movies, which I understand yeah. that, but yeah, I think so. I think with Doctor Strange is it's going to be a pinnacle in terms of, or maybe you can even say it's going to be a nexus for to use a <laughs> MCU term. Like well, it's going to well be done. Nexus, <laughs> it's going to be a nexus in terms of a movie because you're going to see that various upcoming movies are going to use this as a launch pad. I could absolutely see that. And I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that stems from this move. Whereas Thor Love and Thunder, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And I'll probably will end up in the history of my life, watch Thor Love and Thunder more times than I will Doctor Strange too. (laughs) But I am looking forward to more Doctor Strange 2 because of its overall importance to the MCU timeline. I think that's a perfect way to describe both of those movies. Um, to me, and granted, we've all at the, at the time of this recording, we've only gotten a teaser trailer for Thor, right? But to me, that seems what I like to call a turn off your brain and eat your popcorn movie, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> which is totally fine. But 
you know, there's something to be said about the movies that advance the MCU storyline. You know, the ones that have something deeper going on, the ones that make you think a little bit more or develop a character, you know? So I, I agree with that. How have you felt about like phase four of the MCU in general? Because when I was originally responding to your email about this podcast, <laughs> I was actually quite literally listening to your interview with Mike Winslow. Yeah. You guys were talking about, you know, basically the Infinity War saga up to Endgame, because at that point, I think that had been the most recent movie, I think. Yeah. Because then there was the whole pandemic shutdown. But what's your uh, opinion on the, the recent phase that we're in? I find my hope is that it, it's incomplete and it's hard to, for me to judge because there's so many of them that I just don't understand how they fit just yet. Again, yeah. trying to... <laughs> Try, really interested in the, just the overall storyline of the MCU. I don't see how some of these characters fit into the storyline, but I think once the, they've just introduced a lot of these, so I think once we see them in other future movies, you'll see how they all connect. And I think that'll be really good. I sure yeah. hope so. I hope there's a payoff. Yeah, I, I really expect a, a payoff. I mean, I, the one that I really was disappointed with was Black Widow, just because that movie should have been made 12 years ago. And yep. It didn't, um, and it didn't. It was a backstory of a character that we already really knew, and it just didn't have that payoff of Budapest, right? I I thought the Budapest stuff was kind of lame. Yeah, the, and, the and whole Budapest was, callback. Yeah, there's so many Budapest callbacks, so I thought that was going to be a significant moment or something really clever, and it really wasn't. So I didn't particularly like Black Widow, but some of the other that, ones I've I've liked. And you know, I wonder if Marvel even knows how they're all connected right now <laughs> i don't know i i gotta believe that kevin feige's got this ridiculous i2 link chart in his house <laughs> well and, i will challenge him to that any day <laughs> and he's got the whole solution right and he's got data coming in at all times he's got all these different data points and timelines and yeah i mean i'm hoping that he's using technology and he's not using string right and string and, and tax to string along all his ideas there i know that, that would be oh god could you imagine if he legit had i2 analyst notebook and he's like okay we got this branch going out here with captain marvel we got to get that back somehow uh <laughs> oh man all those different storyboards i don't know if he said how far advanced he has the storyline or not i know that when, when when he said they were going to talk about bringing in mutants when he yeah. said that he had said later that he had no plan whatsoever with it he just knew that they were going to be coming so i don't know if that's changed that was like two or three years ago now but he said when at the time when he said that at comic-con he had no plans for it so. Yeah, I I know they announced like a whole bunch of titles, but I thought like half of those were going to be series. Yeah. Which I know are MCU canon and do affect like the overall storyline. But as far as movies, I, I thought this particular phase ends with them bringing in the Fantastic Four again. Yeah, so that's coming. I just don't know when that's coming. So I know. It, I don't know. That it's would be lot. interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Have you been watching Moon Knight? Yeah, I'm... I guess I just don't get it. I'm a little confused by it. So I haven't watched this past week's episode, so you can't. You can't okay, spoil I won't that. spoil it. Um, spoil that to me. But I'm I'm in the same way. Like I'm waiting for it to be great or to have this great reveal. And if I guess if it doesn't, I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah. But so that's to me, it's just like okay, there seems like we've spent four episodes setting up. The whole story and so and i know there's only six so it's it is weird for me so i'm hoping that yep, there's going to be a payoff at the end i i sure hope so because the penultimate episode there's not a huge payoff it, it does advance a little bit but and i i feel like that's the mcu disney plus series in general you know all of those i feel like are there just to set up one quick story aspect but overall you could completely remove them you know yeah the way uh, which I, I feel the same the only one I feel differently about that is Loki. That was a Loki. fun one. Loki seems to be the only one that's getting a season two. And that and so set up I a think, whole thing of Kang the Conqueror. At yeah, the end there. so I think they have an idea that they're going to run with. The other ones, everything else seems to be a one and done. So I think you're right there. They're, they're just trying to set up characters for to be in future movies. But Do you think it's that, like Hawkeye, for example, do you think... 
he was supposed to get his own movie and then they were like, yeah, let's just make this a show instead. No, I don't know. I mean, there's always probably what ifs that you could do is could we do a movie? But uh, I'm not sure if I ever heard any rumors about him getting his own movie. I do yeah. wonder what they're going to do with his character. Is he just never going to show up again? So I'm not really sure what they're going to do with his character. My um, prediction is based on that show and based on Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that they're getting ready to pass the torch from the Avengers to either the Young Avengers or what's the other team called? Like the Dark Avengers or something like that? Yeah, that's there's a lot of speculation with that because all the kids of all these yep. superheroes come along and form a Young Avengers team. And so I, I could see them doing something like that. You're getting to the point where there's so many different characters and what the status of everybody is. <laughs> Back to the, we need the, we need the link chart to keep track of whatever <laughs> the status of everybody. So, you know, that should be my next link chart then is the MCU link chart or yeah. timeline or both, you know, yeah, they yeah. can, they can work with each other. There you go. Yeah. Actually, uh, <laughs> put that in for the conference. See if it gets. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what? If I put that in and it doesn't win, like I'm going to quit my ISCA membership because. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, like yeah. All, 14 imagine, years worth of data there, you know? Imagine just at the conference there and all the, all these analysts and nerds just start arguing. <laughs> like, just like the, huge, the huge civil war of argument comes out between analysts and, you know, just <laughs> totally nerding out. That that, it would be the best conference ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and all these people that don't have any idea what's going on just looking at us like we have. 10 heads so well <laughs> hey awesome. i could talk about this for hours actually so i, better, I appreciate you uh, indulging better, me though better, better stop while we're ahead so let's yeah, move on i, I to, appreciate that let's move on to words to the world so our last segment of the show is words to the world and this is where i give the guests the last word brian you can promote any idea that you wish what are your words to the world? So I'm a huge fan of the band 311, not only because I love their music, but I especially love how their lyrics talk a lot about positivity, which I'm a huge fan of. So my words to the world, I'll give a couple quotes from their lyrics. One is, you've got to trust your instinct and let go of regret. And another one of my favorites is, stay positive and love your life. Very good. Why well, leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later? That's not very positive, Jason. <laughs> but thank you for having me on. <laughs> but I do appreciate you being on the show, Brian. Thank you so much. And you be safe. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.